This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Man, our card for this week is Andy Hawkins. Andy Hawkins, a pitcher for the San Diego Padres. Card number nine. Number nine. This is the lowest show number we've done so far. The first seven cards are record breakers in the set. So this is the second player in the set. Yes, second after Kevin Elster is the first player card in the set. He's a Mm. future star. Andy Hawkins in here looks like um, a confused dad. Yeah, yes. Let's look look at the front of the card here. There's a lot to talk about. This is, I would say, the look that I would have given if someone at age 19 had had said, Sir, can you tell us about your whereabouts last Thursday night? It's a very, very guilty look in his eye. He's looking askance, I would say. Yes, he has a common look that we see in these 1988 Tops cards. He's got a very high hat. But Andy also has some good, maybe feathered hair going on underneath that hat. Yeah, I just think that this this hat is, while enormous, is still seems like it's too small for his head in a way. <laughs> the hair is uh, squeezing out of the side. Just, it's really, really tall. He's also wearing a warm-up jacket. Over what looks like just an undershirt. Yes. Just like he wasn't properly shirt. dressed for his photo shoot. And then they just said, just put this put this jacket on. On the scale of looks and charm, where you have Kirk McCaskill at the top so far of the 1988 Tops podcast. And Jay Baller, I think, bringing up the rear. I, Andy Hawkins is challenging Jay Baller. And also, if you notice in the card, you have a similar kind of spring training kind of look. There's no stands. I guess there's perhaps a baseball field behind him. Maybe you can kind of make out some palm trees. It's a very vague setting. Like someone, they picked him up. He was, he'd been out at the beach and they're like, Hey, could you just meet us at this like cafe? And we're just going to take your picture real quick. Put on this hat. And he's like, but I haven't washed my hair. I'm like, that's fine. Just put it, put on the hat. But this hat doesn't fit. This isn't my jacket. But this isn't my jacket. I haven't been home in weeks. (laughs) <laughs> fine just do it just do it well so, uh, so part that's of, the front of the card yeah part of the reason why i picked andy was that low number he shows up in the first page of my collection every time i open it andy was just staring at me with this blank stare andy holds a place in padres history a place in baseball history what i have from the text chain david uh, is that you told me that he had a historic moment that I watch live on TV and will walk us through. And so so folks at home, just buckle up because it's going to be a wild ride. This game, it is unlike any other game uh, I've ever heard of. I'm excited to get to it. Well, let's flip to the back of the card, though. Let those bold, searing eyes of Andy Hawkins look at us another day. So, Andy, again, number nine. Born and grew up in Waco, Texas, home in San Diego, drafted by the Padres June in 1978 and the fun fact 
is that Andy led the Texas League with 14 complete games and tied for the lead with 27 starts at Amarillo in 1981. An interesting story about Andy, though, in his coming out of high school, he was a heavily recruited football player. He was Mm. a punter and a place kicker, and he set a Texas record with a 55-yard field goal. See, that's the that should have been the fun fact. Like, what the heck? That's the fun fact. He kicked a 55-yard field goal. That's incredible. And he turned down a scholarship opportunity to play for your alma mater, Baylor University. He could have been the punter and the kicker in the late 70s, but he turned that down to go play for the Padres after he was the number one, the Padres' number one pick in the 1978 well, draft. Well, Sikkim Bears, he could have been played alongside Mike Singletary. That's shocking. I would also say that a 55-yard field goal punter and kicker, he should have been recruited by Real Madrid. (laughs) He very nearly gave up baseball after going to the minors. He did not enjoy his first season in the minors. As an 18-year-old in Walla Walla, Washington, he had a pretty good record, then got called up to Reno, the A affiliate of the Padres, and had a really rough go of it. And so there's a 19-year-old kid in Reno, Nevada, not enjoying himself. He said he almost quit knowing that he could go back to Baylor and play football. And he ended up turning that around and getting called up and, and making it to the majors within a couple seasons. At 22 years old, he picked up a, a slider to go along with his fastball. And he said that he didn't have a very good curveball, but so that's why he picked up a slider and that kind of helped him grow in the minor leagues. He went on a 30-inning scoreless run and was called up to the pros in 1982. Kind of bounced back and forth between AAA and the pros in 83. But then going into the 1984 season, became an established member of a very good Padres team that went on to the World Series. So that 1984 season, pitched in 36 games, went 8-9 and nine with a 4.68 ERA. Did he contribute very much? In the, in the playoffs and in the World Series? Andy pitched in three games against the Cubs in the NLCS, and he didn't give up a run. I think he maybe only pitched in three innings in that playoff series, but pitched well enough. Moving on to the World Series where they played the Tigers, he pitched two and two-thirds innings in game one, uh, which the Tigers won. So after that game, he told the manager, you know, if you need me again, I can go in game two. And in that game two, the Tigers took an early lead in the first inning and the starter was pulled with two outs in the first inning. So Andy came in, pitched five scoreless innings, and that allowed the Padres to come back and get in the game and take the lead in the fifth. Andy came out of the game in the sixth and got a win. Unfortunately, the Tigers went on to win the next three games and win the World Series four games to one. Andy pitched four innings in the last game and gave up the deciding run, so he took a loss. But that was the only run that he allowed in 15 innings of 1984 playoffs and World Series. So the Padres have been to two World Series in their history in 1984 and 1998. They've only won one game. They got swept in the 98 World Series, and Andy Hawkins is the only Padres World Series game winner. Unfortunately, that win would be his only win in the playoffs in his career as well. Unfortunate. But the 1984 season, he got that win. He also, David, got to wear one of the best jerseys in baseball history, which is this 1984 Padres jersey. This 1985 tops 
Andy Hawkins card gives you the full impact of this San Diego Padres uniform from the 84 season. So we'll we'll put a link here in the show notes to the 1985 tops Andy Hawkins. This is card number 299. After the 1984 season, after that World Series, for some reason, the San Diego Padres decided to switch away from this beautiful uniform. Maybe it, it shouldn't be surprising that it took them 13 more years to get back to the World Series. They should have kept this I, monstrosity. Uh, yeah, this uniform is fantastic. So it, it's brown. It, it's brown. It's got the word Padres across the chest in an upwards V. And the letters are all lowercase. So it's Padres, where each of the letters kind of looks, they look very similar. The P, the A, and the D all look like this exact same size and shape, just rotated slightly differently. And then white pants with a... With an orange, yellow, and brown accents? Yes. Stripes down both both sides of the pants and the belt area. And that, that combination also around the cuffs. And then a V-neck type of collar of black, orange, and yellow around the collar. It's really strange. And then you've got the hat. D David, you called this kind of a bell shape. Yes, I, I think that if you look at the top of it, it does go to a bell point at the, at the top, at the button on the top of the hat. It's a brown hat with a yellow front panel. Normally the, the hats are a six panel hat. This one looks like a. they have pasted a seventh panel onto the front, and it's yellow with orange piping, and then an SD in orange on the front as well. It's really distinctive. There's a few minor league teams that have also used this bell design. I don't think you can get this on New Era's website anymore, I, but yeah, it's a really weird like, hat. This looks like, a, like he's got a gumdrop on top of his head. <laughs> I have to say the the face that he's making, the pose that he's in, is the most awkward, ugly position I've ever seen in a baseball card. He looks like like an old lady who's been asked to to throw something overhand that is too heavy for her to lift. This looks like a grandma <laughs> who's been asked at the family reunion, like, could you please, could you throw that? Can you throw that tub of potato salad to me, Gran? And, and she's like, I, but I can't. I couldn't. know." like, do it. <laughs> throw the tub of potato salad. It's and not then, a good look for Andy. He should have he demanded an apology for this picture. That's a 24-year-old professional athlete. Now, let's also talk about the logo in the lower right. Oh, my gosh. We haven't so, even gotten to the, the pantsless fryer. This card is problematic as well because you've got the San Diego Padres. Now, I understand Padre, Spanish for father, also refers to priests. The San Diego Padres being, in this case, what looks like a caricature drawing of a priest in a robe, and he's doing some batting. This is, I would say, kind of problematic logo, David. Uh, this is perhaps religious discrimination it's at the very least mockery of, of religion i don't know i'm not a religious yeah. scholar i don't know but overall this is highly entertaining card yes so. i this is and <laughs> i just have to laugh looking at it just look at his face there yeah Poor that's why I, I included the 84 card and then i went to the 85 and i was like wait a minute this one <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful 
So after the World Series, where Andy had a pretty good run, he's going into the 1985 season. The Padres switch up their logos. Maybe Andy liked that he didn't have to wear the brown and orange and yellow anymore, and they switched it up a little bit. But Andy also added a cut fastball to his repertoire, and he uh, credited that with having his best season of his career. If you look at Andy's stats, he was not a particularly overpowering pitcher, got a lot of ground ball and fly ball outs, and didn't walk a lot of players. So he depended more on control and movement than power. In 1985, he went 18 and 8. He won his first 10 starts, and he finished with a 3.15 ERA. So he had a career best season as a 25 year old pitcher. So 1985 sounds like a good year for Andy. 86 and 87 look pretty forgettable. So 1988 is the last year of his contract. He's 28 years old, and he goes 14 and 11 with a 3.35 ERA. A, a good year in the last year of your contract. When you're a 28-year-old player, you maybe got one or two more contracts left in you, but that should be the big one. Andy had a pretty good year, was looking for a big move to a competitive team or at least a significant raise from the Padres. And he got that raise and he got that big move going to New York, going to the Yankees, thinking that he was going to be on a competitive team. He uh, signed a three-year $3.6 million contract. Prior to that, he'd been making $450,000 a year in San Diego. So he you know, really thought that this was going to be the big move. Andy was the only consistent starter his first season in New York. He went 15-15 and 15 with a 4.8 ERA, and the Yankees went 74-87. and 87. So, yeah, 1989, pretty forgettable. But 1990, David, is the year. This is what we've been waiting for here. So 67 and 95, these Yankees are the worst Yankees team of probably the last hundred years. But David, we're still excited to think about the 1990 Yankees because of a particular game. We're going into June. The Yankees were already pretty terrible. It was already, it was pretty clear that they were out of it. Andy had an ERA over eight and he was on the verge of getting released from the Yankees, even after signing his big contract. And then another pitcher got hurt, so he was pulled back into the rotation. And he had a very strange run of games in July of 1990. And the first one of those is a game that I remember as a 10-year-old watching on TV and is forever in my mind as one of the weirder things I've ever seen on a baseball field. 1990 was the year of the no-hitter. By July, there had already been five no-hitters. We talked about how in 87, there was only one no-hitter. 1990 and 91 both had a ton of no-hitters. There were two on the same day, June 29th. A couple days later, Andy takes the mound in the last game for the Yankees at the Old Comiskey Park in Chicago against Greg Hibbard. Greg Hibbard was having a pretty good year. I was having a good year. I had just turned 10 years old, so very excited White awesome. Sox fan. Awesome, <laughs> The the White Sox were, I think, in first place at this point. They were like 20 games over 500. Greg Hibbard was pitching particularly well. He had a 2.59 ERA. He was the White Sox best pitcher that year. And I remember it being a very strange game to watch. You could see on TV, it looked like a hot summer day. It was very bright. But every time the ball was hit in the air, 
it seemed like nobody could tell where it was going. And it was a windy day. <laughs> Growing up in the suburbs, it's always hard to tell like if the weather conditions in the suburbs are the same as they are in Chicago. Old Comiskey, relatively close to the lake. Hard to tell what the conditions are going to be. Officially, it was 70 degrees with a 16 mile per hour wind. But as you can see from this video that we'll post, prophetically, Phil Rizzuto said, every fly ball is an adventure out there. And in this maybe four minute video, you can see a few of those. Both pitchers started the game very well and were holding the opposing teams hitless through five innings. So you have dual no hitters going through five innings. Hawkins had a couple walks in the fifth inning. And in that same inning, you see a very long fly ball by a very young Sammy Sosa that was blown back into the field of play and caught on the warning track for the last out of the fifth inning. In an interview, Andy Hawkins said that Sosa fly ball should have gone 500 feet, but the wind blew it back in. And he said, if that ball had gone out, nobody would be talking about this game. But the wind, as soon as that ball went into the air, the wind started swirling around and pushed it back onto the field. And you can see Jim Leyritz, who was only in his third major league game in left field. He had been a third baseman and a catcher, kind of looking confused up in the air at where the ball is going. And he had to move maybe 15 feet to catch that ball after initially judging where it was going to land. The Yankees finally get a hit off of Greg Hibbert in the sixth inning. So that ends the dual no-hitter. I did not remember this game. And in going back to watch it, you can tell as each inning progresses that things just get stranger and stranger. Every ball that goes in the air, it's like, are they going to get... Are they going to get it? They, they can't see it. And even routine fly balls to second base, and you have Steve Sachs and Don Mattingly on the field looking kind of confused about who's going to take a fly ball. It was weird. And the reason I have that memory of watching this game is that I remember the excited weirdness of this game. I'm also normally a pretty, and even as a kid, was a relatively calm sports watcher. But I do remember like jumping out of my seat at points during this game because it was so odd and exciting. I think that kind of sets up where we're going into the eighth inning of this game. It was 0-0 mm -hmm. zero, zero going into the bottom of the eighth inning. Andy gets two fly ball outs in the eighth inning. And the weirdness ensues. Young Sammy Sosa, again involved here, hits a hard ground ball to third base that is misplayed. And Sosa slides headfirst into first base. And initially, it scored a hit. And so in this video, you watch, and Phil Rizzuto and all the Yankees players are watching the scoreboard, see it scored a hit, and they're all disgusted. Even the third baseman who just yeah. kind of muffed the ball looks disgusted and like wants to take an error to keep the no-hitter going. The official scorekeeper changes the outcome of that play to an error, and everybody cheers, including Phil Rizzuto. And, you know, nobody wants to see this no-hitter lost due to that error. It also is a good reminder of why Sammy Sosa was kind of beloved as a young player by White Sox fans before he was traded to the Cubs. He is hustling in this 0-0 game. You already see a little bit of power. You see his speed. And he's hustling down that line sliding headfirst into first base to beat out a throw. A good young player, but like never quite hit his potential with the White Sox. Sosa then steals second base. Andy walks Ozzie Guillen and Lance Johnson. So you have the bases loaded, two outs. 
and Robin Ventura comes to the plate. Robin Ventura, known to this podcast for receiving noogies. <laughs> and he hits a fly ball to left field. And Jim Leyritz, who we've already discussed, is, is having an adventurous day. And he'd been battling the sun, battling the wind. He kind of spins around, watching a fly ball, falls to his knees, and the ball bounces off his glove, rolls into the corner, three runs score on that dropped fly ball. It's an error. Because there's two outs, everyone is running on any kind of contact. And you watch him, he's spinning and watching the ball as it's coming to his glove and trying to give himself every last millisecond of time to judge where this ball is going to land by going to his knees and it still loses it. So three runs score, mm. three mm. nothing White Sox in the bottom of the eighth. The next batter, Yvonne Calderon, flies right. Simple fly ball. <laughs> Jesse Barfield, who I think had won a gold glove before his time with the Yankees, loses the ball in the sun and another error and another run scores. So four nothing White Sox. The next batter flies out, but it's at this point four to nothing. Andy leaves the field with no hits, down four zero. In the next inning, the White Sox retire the side and win the game. Andy takes a loss, but he got his no hitter. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah, it's and that is just <laughs> It's a sad. It's a sad story. You could you could see it multiple times in in the video. You just show him looking pretty disgusted with what's going on in that whole sequence in the eighth inning. After the game, you had you know, of course a lot of interview requests. David Letterman tried to get him on the show, and he declined. <laughs> George Steinbrenner offered to buy him a Jeep as a congratulatory gift, and he declined. At first, I think the the sting of it was fresh. And then a, a little bit later, he said, I got beat. That stinks. But I still threw a no-hitter, and that will never be taken away from me. But, <laughs> but will it? Yes. In Unfortunately, in 1991, Faye Vincent had something called the Statistical Accuracy Committee look into the rules around no-hitters. And Major League Baseball changed the rule for a no-hitter to be official. A pitcher must throw at least nine full innings and a complete game. So Andy... Ah, uh, he did, but Andy didn't because, because the White Sox were leading going into the bottom of the ninth. And so he didn't pitch in the bottom of the ninth. Correct. Eight. This has happened twice since... Andy did it once in 1992 and once in 2008. There hasn't been a, a 4 nothing scoreline in one of these games. It was just a really absurd game and added to a, a weird season for Andy and a weird season for the Yankees. Well, I would say he should have taken the Jeep Wrangler. <laughs> yeah, he should have gone on Letterman, too. So this is an incredible game. Did, did anything else interesting happen to Andy in 1990? Yes, in his very next game. He pitched 11 and two-thirds scoreless innings and lost two to nothing to the Twins. Wait, 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 wait. You know, this used to happen a lot more where guys would go beyond the full nine innings. Now we, we very rarely see nine-inning complete games, let alone extra innings with a single pitcher. So recently somebody asked Andy about this, and he said, I don't know if anybody has done that since. He's right. No one has pitched 
into the 12th inning of a game since 1990. Wow. The winner wow. of that game for the Twins was our old friend Juan Berenguer. Senior Smoke got the win in that game. Unfortunately for Andy, this is a real hard luck run here. He had given up six hits and two earned runs in 19 and two-thirds innings and got two losses to show for it. He said that the best two starts of his life back-to-back, and he lost them both. Baseball is cruel. Matt, I introduced this 1990 season by saying that there were three games in a row where Andy was involved in odd situations. So we have his losing no-hitter. We have a 12-inning outing by Andy. And then in the next game, it wasn't necessarily that Andy did something remarkable, but he was involved in another no-hitter. This time, another game against the Chicago White Sox. Andy gave up eight runs in four innings, but the opposing pitcher was Melito Perez. And Melito Perez pitched six innings, no hit, and then that game was called on account of rain. This is another game that I distinctly remember watching on TV. I spent a lot of that 1990 summer, I think, just sitting inside, which is fine. The White Sox were good, so it was was bound to happen. And Melito Perez was also a casualty of that same Faye Vincent Statistical Accuracy Committee because of that same rule change. His no-hitter was wiped from the record books. Interestingly, his brother, Pascual Perez, had a five-inning no-hitter in 1988. So at one point, both brothers had rain-shortened no-hitters, and on the same day, both of them were wiped from the record books. Sorry to the Perez family, also RIP to Pascual Perez. That 1990 season ended with nine no-hitters, but then by the next season, that was reduced to seven. There's a great page of near no-hitters that we'll include in the show notes. Andy had a relatively disappointing season, as maybe that's an understatement for after those outings that we just went through. He went 5-12 and 12 with a 5.37 ERA. David, it looks like 1991, he ends up released by the Yankees. His, uh, he's signed by the A's, but then released before the end of the season and tried a minor league comeback in 1992 but didn't make it back to the majors. He did a season in AAA instead. What about during retirement? Where else has he been? After his retirement, he did different kinds of jobs over the next few years. He worked as a construction foreman and a ranch manager back in Texas. He took some time off from baseball, but then returned in 2001 and has worked as a pitching coach in various levels of the Rangers and Royals organization. I think last year he was with the Omaha Storm Chasers, in the Royals AAA affiliate. For his career, Andy went 84-91 and 91 with a 4.22 ERA and 706 strikeouts in 11 major league seasons. So for Andy Hawkins, whose pitching performance was a memorable one from your childhood... What do you think now, looking back on him? I have opened this 1988 Tops set multiple times and looked at Andy's face and every time thought about that 1990 game. And I guess we all think about what would be the first line of our Wikipedia article. Maybe I just think about that. (laughs) Everybody thinks of what the, the first line of their obituary. And unfortunately, every time I look at Andy, I think of what's probably the first line of his obituary (laughs) memorable for a 
an unfortunate incident, but that was also could have been a peak moment of his career, but was slightly unfortunate and, and ended up being ultimately disappointing. And I think that the way Andy has come around to look at this is that he realizes he's dealt with so many young players. And he said that at some point they all Google him and find that video. And he's, I think, grown to accept that that is, that is the first line of his Wikipedia article. And he said, it's my no hitter. It wasn't perfect. It was never what I expected it to be or what I envisioned or dreamed about. I had to accept it for what it is, you know, you know, we all have, we all have those moments in our life that we have to accept and it's not going to be perfect. Yeah. I think we all do sometimes also Faye Vincent, he and the statistical accuracy committee takes it away from me. <laughs> it's all of our nemesis, Faye Vincent. Well, thank you, David, for that. And thank you to Andy Hawkins out there. Thank you to our listeners at home. We appreciate your support. If you've ever lost a fly ball in the sun, we would love to hear from you. If you can find me one of these 1984 San Diego Padres hats. Yes, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>